encouraged, not burdened by the history that they create. They know what is expected of them. They are Manchester United. Standard starting lineup of Nathan Heinchel and Polly Questel. Uh, fresh off of watching Manchester United's 1 0 win over FC Copenhagen. And uh, Nathan, a, a Nathan we'll start win. with you. In five words or less, describe the match that we just watched. This team is ass. That's four. Polly, you I want saved to follow your word. <laughs> Utter shit, then pandemonium. Fair. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty bad. I would say that first half was like borderline unwatchable at times. Um, Manchester I wouldn't United. Say at times. With- I wouldn't say at times. Colin texted us at halftime and said, "Nathan, can you take over doing tweets because I have to go throw my TV into the river." So I don't have to watch this anymore. Like yeah, it that was, started that was out a as a serious point, text and then said, I'm, I have to run an errand that errand is throwing my TV in the, in the river. Yeah. <laughs> um, I should clarify. Uh, the closest river to me is about a 25 minute drive away. Um, and it's, it is not the Mississippi river. Um, he was really trying to get out of watching the second half. Yeah. 50 minute round trip. But, you know, I stuck around and uh slab had saved the day. Uh, and then Andre Onana saved the day uh, when we tried really hard to ruin the day again. A, a little peek behind the curtain. I actually did have, I already had the picture meme chosen loaded into the tweet with the phrase, this team is ass, right as Andre Onana made the save. And I had to delete the tweet real fast and then go in all caps on the Busby Babe Twitter account like, oh, no, no, no. That's the vibes. The thing is, like, and it seems like every other, you know, United account that's within the circle that, you know, we follow and participate in on social media is kind of on the same page of this team is ass. Uh, and the results for the last three matches have not changed that. If anything, it's reinforced that ass position. Um, A frustrating amount of they, ass. They, yeah. Th- th- I mean, here's the level of ass we are. Is that second half today was like top two halves United have had this year? Depending on depending on where you put and uh, like two halves against Crystal Palace's like F team. <laughs> and I think the biggest reason for that is uh Copenhagen got tired. Like they were they were pretty much out playing Manchester United for the first. 40 minutes. Copenhagen, Copenhagen got tired. United put on a guy who could actually pass the ball forward. That helped. Um, they also then put on a left winger who is direct and runs and runs at people and, and just has that fearlessness about him. This was like I tweeted before the game, like this was an insane lineup decision. What were you expecting from this? The, this was the piece that I wrote this week, this week, and exactly what happened. I'm like, you're putting out people that don't complement each other. How are you expecting good football to be played? 
Yeah. I mean, at this point, it doesn't seem like anyone is expecting good football to be played. Um, Shouldn't the manager? Possibly including Eric Ten Hag. Shouldn't the manager be like, well, I'm in charge here. This is my ideas. I get to pick how we're going to play. I get to tell the players where to stand. I get to tell the players what to do, what shape we're going to play. I get to pick which players it is. I think I'm... So, therefore, given who we're playing and what we want to do, these are the players that I think are going to play a good match of football. Shouldn't that be what's going through his head every game when he picks the team? More or less. More or less. I'll give him this. Sometimes you have to be like, look, uh, I think this player... um, should be playing, but he's played a lot of football recently and we have a bigger game coming up. So I'll, I'm going to rotate him in or out, but Eric Tenog doesn't really rotate the team anyway. So shouldn't that be the thought going through the manager's head when he picks a team? In theory. it, it It's just the stuff like there is Marcus Rashford, Rasmus Hoyland and Anthony should never be starting together. They are three players that don't complement each other. You, you've got a young striker who doesn't create much alongside two players, one of whom is slightly creative in certain ways, the other whom the other one is not. Um there were there was a situation right in the first minute today, and also I want to say against Galatasaray. That and, it, and this is not a knock on Hoyland, and it's and he did nothing wrong, and it wasn't his fault. But it was two situations where the ball came to him, and Rashford went running in behind, and you were like, "If that's Anthony Martial, that ball gets to Rashford, and he's in on a breakaway alone." And Rashford just doesn't have that in his locker. Maybe not yet. Maybe not ever. Maybe that's just not the type of player he's going to be. But you want to get the best out of Marcus Rashford. That's what he needs. So like those two don't really like. Those two don't complement each other so much, especially when Rashford's out on the left. Anthony is someone who's only going to cut inside and, you know, do his thing. I thought Anthony had like one sequence of play today where he actually looked really competent and it happened because he had cut inside to the middle, passed the ball away and then ended up on the left side and like suddenly on the left side looked competent. Um, he had that one where he like cut in and actually like played a pass to Hoyland rather than like trying to shoot. And I think Hoyland like backheeled it. Um, yeah. But dissipated, but the, that was like a breakaway. That was a trade. Yeah. That was a nice counterattack that ended up looking close, but like wasn't run well. Yeah. Um, hey, trying to be the best transition team in the world. <laughs> can you imagine uh, baby steps considering we're trying to yeah. be the best transition team in the world. We're actually a worse transition team than last year, but I, I okay. So like you, I tweeted this on Saturday and Polly was like, why didn't I mention this on the podcast? So I guess I'll go ahead and lean into this point of like, we've, we've seen flashes from a potential Rashford Hoyland partnership. Like Rashford's assisted him a couple times, including a goal that was disallowed. Um, in general, they've had moments where they've looked good together. I, th- I think there are also moments like Polly pointed out where they're, you know, they look like they're new and they're not on the same page. And those are the things that you got to try and work through. I don't really understand how Anthony fits into this equation in a meaningful way to complete the front three um, in any way other than, you know, that's 80 million on him, considering that he's like his own person. He's, on the right he's, he's, he's your like, boy. 
it, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, he's Eric Tanag's guy, so he's going to play. And you've, uh, you've like Samuel Luckhurst was tweeting about it that you know he started six matches this season, and in none of them he's made any sort of impression that he should start the next one. And and you wonder why certain players are disgruntled. Um, you've got to strike like that's the thing about Anthony Marcial is he's not going to be your prototypical center forward of like, get me the ball in the box and I'm going to score. He's someone that brings other players in the game, creates space for other players. You could flank him with Anthony and Rashford. He'll create space for them. If Anthony had any sort of finishing ability, he scores more than four goals last year. He had a lot of chances that he just couldn't finish. Um, that is also when Martial is playing up to his abilities, which he has, which he has not done since January. Um, he is just not the same player since that injury. So, but Rasmus Hoyland's a different kind of player. And he, it's similar to Cavani and Zlatan and Ronaldo. And they are, get the ball. They're not going to, you know, Hoyland drop, like does some good hold-up things. But there's a difference between hold-up play and link-up play. And he's good at one and not so much the other. And he's not, and if you get him, you know, Anthony Martial is really good in that zone 14, which is at the top of the box facilitating play. Hoyland's not going to do that. So you need a striker that, or not a striker, you need players that are going to get him the ball in the box, top of the box, in the box. And that comes to probably the biggest persisting problem, I mean, over the last few years, but definitely these last few matches is that regardless of, you know, what Eric Tanag maybe sees from this front three and what he can get from it, he's not going to get it with the midfield. And... even if, even before we get there, like you could play a striker, you could play a player that wants to cut inside on on their on their strong foot from out wide. You can only play one of them. You need someone else who's going to be creative and get help get the ball forward, help get the ball to the guy in the box. And Rashford and Anthony, you could play Hoyland and Anthony. You can play Hoyland and Rashford. You shouldn't play all three of them, and for sure not. You should not go with a front five where you've got four guys who are essentially finishers and only one guy to create. And that's also the only guy who can move the ball forward. The team that's also selection, the guy responsible for policing the entire middle of the park. <laughs> the team selection, the last two games has been like Eric Tenog is a bad international manager. International football. Everybody always goes, how did this guy not get in the team? He's in great for, you know, international football, you get the, the star, then you get um, you get the coach's favorite, um, and hey, the coach's favorite scored today. The, the, which coach? <laughs> <Yeah, South> <laughs> you, get, you get the star, like you get you get the goal scorer, you get the coach's favorite, and then it just becomes like, all right, who else is in good form? Um, and then the coach picks them because they're in good form. That's who the fans want to see. And there's no concern about who do these players work well together. And that's that's why Gareth Southgate's so hated because he goes, "Well, my star is Harry Kane, and uh, who? And that's and I'm trying to not I'm trying to build an, a team here and an ecosystem. So if Harry, Harry Kane is doing these, th- and then his second guy was Raheem Sterling. Sterling's not a team, so he's figuring it out. But for years it was Raheem Sterling. So he goes, well, now I don't. I don't have a place for Marcus Rashford because uh, because I'm starting Sterling on the left. On the right side, I need someone to be a winger or I need someone who does more of the defensive thing. And that's why Bakayo Saka or Mason Mount used to always get 
preferred. Now he's figuring it out again, but it, it was never about who's the most informed player. It's, it's, we have this guy who the team is built around and we need to flank him with players that are going to help do what he does best to help, to help us succeed. Whereas too many international managers just go, well, if I have, I have player A, he's great. I have player B, he's great. I have player C, he's great. You know, let's just figure out how to get them all on the pitch together. And suddenly none of them are playing the right spot. That's sort of what you've got here is you've got Rasmus Hoyland, who has been scoring in Europe. He's your 60 million pound guy. Uh, Anthony Martial has done nothing to basically say you you should consider starting me. So Rasmus Hoyland's going to start. You have Marcus Rashford. He is your star player. He's your highest paid player. He's the guy who led the team in goals last year. He's going to start. On the right side, you got the coach favorite, the guy you spent 80 million, 80 million pounds on, the guy who you said, we need to borrow from next year's budget to sign. This is my guy. He's going to start. Then you got Bruno Fernandez. He's the captain. And then you're, you're picking McTominay because he's in great form. No one can deny that. He scored twice against Brentford. He's been scoring for Scotland. He scored again against Sheffield United. He scored a he almost scored a sensational free kick. That, um, that, like, we could talk about, you know, the way he hit that if we want. <laughs> if we if we need to, like, uh, look, move I'll on say to this. a topic. His first, <laughs> his first six goals for Scotland, I was like, yeah, well, this is what McTominay does. He runs into the box. He makes late runs in the box, and he can get ahead on it, or he or he shoots, and he's got a sweet strike. That free kick was something I did not know he had in his locker. The, the like, <laughs> that angle that was the angle that was circulating from it too, where it's like right behind, but like yeah. how you even scored from that angle? Yeah, it was. Oh, it was beautiful. So, but so he's the informed player. So you throw him into the team, but it, there's no regard for. Wait a minute, like what does Marcus Rashford do well? And what every one of those players does things well, and they're lacking in some areas. And instead of saying, well, I have this guy who does X well, but lacks in Y. So therefore out of someone else in this front five, I need someone to cover that Y. And the other player does Z well, and he's going to compliment X or he's going to compliment Y, but not so much. There's nothing. He's just putting the players out there without any regard for, wait, none of this works together. So it's very hard to be good when you have no one to help you. Yeah. And it's, it's not just the McTominay is being played in this position as a sort of like accompaniment to what he's shown recently, which is goal scoring. It's that by doing this, you're taking a body out of, you know, a position that is pretty regularly filled in the midfield pivot. Uh, It's not I don't even know if it's like playing the two free eights the way that people were talking about it a couple of years ago when it became popular from City and Liverpool. They're playing two free eights, it's, and it's shit. It's, it's it's like they're trying to play it at a an extra striker almost. But there's, it, it's like it's kind of like when Cristiano Ronaldo was playing in the spaces where Bruno Fernandez likes to be right and you were just, it just like doesn't, it does, doesn't just really play striker <laughs> yeah like just play striker but you have a guy who was like dropping deep to get a touch of the ball or is like there's value to dropping deep if you drag a defender with you and somebody fills that space but like with ronaldo d- defenders were just like don't worry about him he's just going to get a touch and then yeah. you you 
infringe on the space that Bruno and Paul Pogba used to operate in. And then there was also no striker there. And it seemed like that's what you want. Like that's, that's the thing is, is, uh, Go back to the 2009 Champions League final where Ronaldo started up top. I'd rather. And, yeah, well, yeah. Ronaldo started up top and Rooney started kind of on the on the wing and Park was there and, and Ronaldo was like based, was ineffective that game, basically invisible. And the guy who I watched the game with was just like, well, yeah, like, you, you know, all season you've had, for the last two years, you've had Rooney and Tevez and Ronaldo making third man runs into the box. Like when Ronaldo wasn't doing things on his own, when the team was building up, it was, you had Rooney, Tevez and Berbatov, but like Ronaldo then making the, the, the next run in. And again, like, there's a huge difference between making that third man run and being the first man in there. And with McTominay, his strength is making those late runs into the box from deep, but he can't play in midfield. So when everybody says, well, the, the solution is you, you got to push him higher. You can't push him higher if he can't be, you know, if you're pushing him into like that number 10 position, now he's like the second man in, which changes things again. And it's a different dynamic, but also you need to be able to pass. You need to be, you need to be creative. McTominay had 17 touches against Sheffield United in, in an hour as a midfielder. That's bad. Rasmus Hoyland had like 12 which is atrocious. But like, who's Rasmus Hoyland going to link up with? Well, you got a midfielder who's pushing high, who also isn't getting on the ball. How are you, you know, how are you going to get the ball to your striker when you've got another guy who also isn't touching the ball? Like, I can, I can accept, and it's it's fine. Your striker's going to touch the ball less. That's, that is fine. But you need people around them to, to be able to touch the ball. Like, this, that whole first half just seemed like United were walking today against Copenhagen. It just seemed like United were like walking the ball into the final third and then not getting it anywhere near the box because there's just no penetrate. There's nothing from the middle. You're not getting much from Amorbat. You know, you're not going to get much from McTominay. Like it's only Bruno, but Rashford's pinned out wide so that Sergio Reguilon can come in and be the narrow underlapper. Anthony's pinned out wide. So Dalot can do it. And like, this doesn't feel like the best way to use the players you have. Correct. Which is not a great place to be at two months into the season with Manchester City and Newcastle United coming up next. Do we get any solace in the fact that we've won these past three games? Like, obviously, winning is better than losing and all that, but what's other other than, like, you know, the joy of stealing a win in a game that you probably shouldn't and, you know, getting three points in the Champions League when you only have three games left. But doesn't that get old? I, I think I think yeah. that answers the question. Is that yeah. is it, it's gotten old. Is I think Fergie time was exciting because, one, you were battling, you were in first or second place. You're battling it out in the title race. So when you, when you scored a late winner against Crystal Palace, it, like, that was a huge goal in in a different in a lot of different ways, but also you kind of knew that next week would be a different story. No matter who you were playing, whether it was um, whether it was West Ham or whether it was Liverpool, it would be, you'd you'd look better. And the previous week, whether it was Fulham or Aston Villa, you, you probably weren't playing that shit. Um, 
when it's every single week, it gets old. This is United States. You gotta have the you gotta have the four nil FC periods as well. Right. This was United's Yeah, and 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 think about how many like of Fergie times happen like late in the season when the four nil period the four nil period always runs out because by April everybody's running on fumes. So those goals make, mean even more in April when you're in the thick of a title race. Not so much in September and October, but think about this is 15 games now. How many games have United been the better team? And one of those games was against Crystal Palace's C team. And that's like the most definitive one. I think you could so, argue that that's the only game where they've been the better team. You certainly 100% can. Like, like, like I said, this afternoon, second half was like a top two half of the season. And whether United were playing Manchester City next or they were playing Fulham next, what confidence would I have that it's going to look any different? You know, I saw that team today and I was just like, really? Like, this is what we're doing? And I said, well, the, the one thing I could say is that Sheffield United, for as bad as they are, they are Premier League bad. They are probably right up there with the top teams in Denmark. The team, uh, the like it's it speaks to the quality of the Premier League. Though, like the remember Sheffield United won ninety one points in the Championship last year. They finished eleven points above the next best team. The the bottom teams in the Premier League are a lot better than most of the teams in Europe. And I was like, well, I, they they kind of handled Sheffield United, so they shouldn't you know be overrun against against Copenhagen. But literally the whole first half, Copenhagen had us pinned in our own end. Copenhagen at Old Trafford. Within they, three minutes, the commentator was like, they're not scared to play here. I'm like, that's an indictment on you. That's Clive Tilsley, so he knows his shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Nathan, what's the vibesometer at right now? Um, They're not great. And also, does your current like meme stash ever reflect Manchester United's form, just like out of curiosity? Oh, my camera roll's a mess right now. It's just it, nothing's positive in the camera roll that's that's saved. Um, I, I think the issue is, and it all stems from why Polly even felt the need to ask the question of how are we feeling after three straight wins, is in the grand scheme of things, none of those three wins probably matter come Sunday, October 29th at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, when they kick off at Old Trafford against Man City because that's – I, I mean, there's no signs right now pointing to the fact that United's going to come away with even a draw in that game. Um, this is the first, uh, yeah, this is the first clean sheet that United's had since September 26th against, as Polly put it, Crystal Palace's C team. Um, or you could take it back to September 23rd against Burnley, which was, I don't remember United being like active. Like, I don't want to say that they weren't actively bad, but I felt like they were in control of that one. Like, Burnley wasn't like... Yeah, they were the second best team in that one. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know. We're playing City. That <laughs> doesn't feel good. And then, of course, you're going to play Newcastle, um, you know, three days later in the old uh, um, energy drink fourth round, uh, round of 16. And, of course, that's the team that we knocked out to, to win the trophy. So a vibes aren't great right now. Cause I just don't think that this, wh whether it's injury, whether it's manager selection, 
Um, the talent isn't there. The cohesiveness isn't there. Um, and you're just going to go up against two sides that are just light years ahead of what United are at right now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, cool that we scraped wins against Brentford, Sheffield, and Copenhagen. But, it, I mean, it doesn't matter in three days, four days. I think the biggest question is how, how seriously do City take us? Is, are we going to get City C team? No, 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 not in that regard. Is does City go out there and go, oh, Manchester Derby, let's make a statement? Uh, because if they, if they, if that's what they want to do, well, like last a, year, we're in for a long day. If Man. City go out there and go, guys, United, they're they're eighth, basically, ten, they're they're kind of crap this year. Just another game. City have been boring. Like they've been clinical, they've been ruthless, but they've been boring. They're not creating as much as they used to. Uh, they're they're still scoring because they have Holland and Alvarez and, and whatever, but they're 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 ruthlessly efficient. Give them four shots, they're scoring two goals. But they might just be like, yeah, let's just go out there and like they they are. This is the the Guardiola team that is most trying to embody. Guardiola's like always been on this quest to play like the perfect football match, where basically to him like the opponent will only touch the ball twice per se- like is basically they kick off, they pass it to one of their guys and then they'll turn it over and they'll never touch the ball again until the next kickoff after we score. That's basically what, like city are like striving to, to achieve or get. And that th- this team is, is the most looking for that. And they're really deathly, Deathly boring, but like good boring, as opposed to United, which have just been shit boring. But if we get the if we get them doing that, then like maybe we only lose two 0 Yeah, I think Pep Guardiola is like a a drug addict who has been chasing the feeling of beating Real Madrid six two in two thousand nine, or beating them five nil. In I th- no, I think he strives for like just that perfect game. Right, but like, like that's not going to touch the ball. That's what that was. He like, conceded two goals in that game. That's not perfect. Okay, they were down one now. <laughs> that was his like I cracked the code game, you know, like because they had like started the season. That kind was of his like I'm introducing they... this to the world game when yeah, he had yeah. to like when he had to basically tell Valdez like Yeah, we're gonna play out the back and you're gonna turn it over and we're gonna go and we're gonna fall behind, but keep doing it and like that's exactly what happened. It was like see, boom. <laughs> it's like hey, Messi, come inside. I'm trying to see something. Game, um, come inside as in you know like uh. Moves right, like, tucking the center uh, forward. Yeah, <laughs> play as a false nine, which people are like, he didn't invent that. People like Rooney used to drop deep all the time, and I'm like, yeah, he had a strike partner. <laughs> We're talking about the lead guy. <laughs> also, Rooney dropping deep a lot of the time was just Wayne Rooney trying to do whatever he could to be in the match and not right. Just, like, Kent and I used things. to drop deep, but like again, strike partner. We're talking about a lone striker dropping. Um, no need to get in there. By the way, happy yeah. birthday, Wayne Rooney. We're recording on October 24th. That's yeah. right. Happy birthday to the king. And uh, congratulations Man. on the documentary to the queen. Um, yeah. Congrats I on your when future. Did the, when did the man- Colleen book come out? Did that come out? Sure. I, if, I might be out in the UK, but it's not out here yet. I Is it out on the Disney internet? Plus to see if it's out. Of the no, the Colleen song. book. Yeah, I know. Oh, is it? I don't think it's out in the U.S. If it is out, is it out on the internet though? Because then you can get it if it's on the internet. The internet's a global place, Colin. Oh, apparently she's already shipping. renting books. 
Halloween <laughs> Rooney. <laughs> um. Okay, so she. she what do you think she's she doing not, while her husband's in America? She has not written the book yet. <laughs> it, the book was announced, so it's it's coming out uh, eventually. Um, yeah. Also, um, all right. Let's ask this know, question. Let's it's be crazy when he's a manager in a year and a half. Serious question again. Uh huh. If United had gotten sixty million more pounds in player sales this summer would they have the nine points that they just got in their last three games so you're saying mcguire and mctominay there you go well i mean probably not we could potentially well, we'd, be in a worse be, situation depending on who it, else brought benjamin in. pavard uh had the ball in you know it it could be, but based on the guys that we've signed, who's to say that they would be? Well, to be fair, who's I don't know say? that. Should Amrabad have even been subbed out of this game? I thought that was a curious it, move, but I also was yeah. like, well, here's here's the thing about Amrabat. So I have a I have a draft uh, a couple weeks ago. I wrote something that's now sitting in the in the Quest Thoughts drafts because. It was about moving Bruno deeper because we weren't moving the ball forward and basically being like, this is not the best use of Bruno Fernandez, but he's the best man for this job. And because you have Mason Mount and Hannibal and, and uh, Hannibal Medjbury is looked bright, uh, like play them further forward. And, and you could, you could put Mount on the right wing, et cetera. And you'll probably create more than, if you ask Bruno to play further forward and he ends up dropping deeper to push the ball forward anyway. And I wrote this edit piece being like, I wrote an edit in there. I didn't. And I, I literally went, I have to do a little bit more work on this on like Thursday and I didn't get around to doing it. So I was like, I'll do it on Friday. And I woke up that Friday and they're like, Anthony's back. And I'm like, great. Now I got to like change a lot of these things. Uh, Cause it was all based upon like Anthony being absent, but there was a, Portion where I wrote because I because I had started it on Tuesday, Wednesday we played Crystal Palace in the League Cup, and Amrabat made his debut. And I wrote like, oh, like the answer is Sophie and Amrabat. Put Sophie and Amrabat next to Casemiro solves all these issues. I went, but what if like, Casemiro is done? <laughs> well, not that. Dive into the numbers, and it was like Amrabat did all these things, but like nothing really happened. And then he came into the team the next and and. And it was like, all right, he's at left back. Then he kind of played at central midfield. And it was like, he's doing those things that like catch the eye. But in terms of like, is he making incisive pat? No, it's like, he does all these things like what's happening. And it's like, not much. So I've, I've been on the like, Amrabat is good and objectively good and objectively a good player to have and a nice depth piece. But I'm totally understanding why. United did not want to buy him permanently and why they were like, we're not and like why they're kind of leaning towards not making this a permanent signing. That's right. It is just a loan. So, you know, we could avoid it's like, it's like, he's a good player for, for this, but like, he's not the answer here. So I was more, I was surprised that they took him off today because it was like, Oh, you're, you're putting on McTominay, like you're now going to drop McTominay to be your 
your number six, which like we very we all know that's not what he is. And it's like he's on the pitch to make runs into the box, not be your deepest man. It kind of reminds me of the time that we started Bruno Fernandez as the number 10 at the top of the diamond and he finished the game as a center back. Um so so from that perspective, I was like, why is he coming out from and actually like what are you doing? to help us win this match perspective. I was like, yeah, well, what is he doing? Like we could take him off. I think, I mean, it, it obviously sucks that we're kind of in the, you know, a position we've talked about a lot over the years of what else do we really do with this midfield? Um, and, you know, maybe this could go back to your thing about player sales and Fred, but it's what an Amrabat Fred midfield really be that much better. Are we are we having this conversation? Are we ready to have this conversation? I'm ready to have this conversation. I don't know if everybody else is ready to have this conversation, but I'm ready to have the we miss Fred conversation. I, I mean, I, I'm not. Well, we definitely miss Fred. Fred. You know, Fred's good vibes. Every single goal that Fred's. I mean, the three of us are missing vibes. Fred for like the vibes from a footballing perspective. You know, I, didn't miss Fred. <laughs> I, think, I think everyone's starting to catch up on that, though, because like I was listening to uh, one of the more recent Talk of the Devils and like friend of the pod, Carl, was like, oh, we definitely miss Fred when I think the question was posed. We miss Fred. There were a lot of games last year where we had a one-goal lead and Fred would come on in the 70th minute or so, and all of a sudden it was a two-goal or a three-goal lead. And it was like the ability to like went to like stop an attack and then launch that counterattack and get that second or that third goal, and we just don't seem to have that anymore. Um. I don't know where Fred fits in as a starter, but do we miss him coming off the bench? One hundo p. Come back, it's just pastor bless us. You need you need more players who are fun, and um... who do we, that? You know what? That's a really good point. That is a really good point. Um, it's one of those things that for six years, I people would be you know when people would yell about Paul Pogba, I'd be like, I don't give a shit. I love watching him. He's fun. And who in this team is fun right now? Mark Rashford's fun, but he's not doing anything. So I guess right now we don't have anyone. We don't have anyone who can get Rashford the ball. Hoyland's fun. Hoyland's fun when he gets the ball. Doesn't get the ball. Uh, Juan Basaka is fun because he does cool shit. He makes cool tackles and stuff. Um, Is it always the best option? Uh, You know, debate that all you want. Uh, and there's merits to that debate, but like fun watching him do it. Uh, Gallo m- maybe better in certain areas, less fun. He's just boring at it. Um, Luke Shaw. I don't even think I realized that Diego Gallo played this game. Yeah, and uh, correct. Luke Shaw is Colin called that. Luke Shaw is fun um, when he's getting appreciated, which he's been tremendous for years. Luke Shaw's like that guy that only gets appreciated when he's not there. People love to hate on him as soon as he walks back into the team, though. I Luke Shaw for me is kind of like um, a bunch of God. It's like been a decade now. I remember suggesting that Peyton Manning should win the MVP the year that he his last year at the Colts when he was hurt and he didn't play at all that season. Oh yeah, and they were terrible. And they, they went from like a fourteen win team to a, a two win one or a two win team, and I was like, he should win MVP just because of that. And it's like. Look at what Luke Shaw does for us when he's playing and he's healthy. And then when he's not, it's like, oh, brother. There was a situation today where Amber back got the ball 
and there's a defender on him, but there was only one defender on him. And Dalot was just slightly behind him. And Amrat was kind of like waiting for someone to move and get open. And it was like, all Dalot has to do is run forward. And he's either getting the ball or he's taking that defender off of Amrabat. And he just didn't. And uh, one, of, one of the guys I watched the games with was standing, standing at the bar next to me. I was just like screaming about it. I'm like, when you see a fullback not move like that, it's typically because the manager told him not to. Like that's uh, unless somehow you brain fart when you see, I mean, there was no one near that, that air. Like that could have walked like into the box from there. If, if he's not making that run forward, it's because the manager told him not to. And it probably has nothing to do with him. It probably has to do with like, where were the other, where were the other center backs? Where's the other left? Where's the other fullback? You know, the rest of the shape of the team. And I brought up that example. I'm like, do you remember against Chelsea? In the empty stadiums, United took it, took that free kick. They took it, it. It pops out to Bruno at the top of the box, and he's making that hand signal to Shaw, being like overlap, overlap, and Shaw wouldn't do it, and everyone killed Shaw for it. And it was like he didn't do it because he, there's three men back. He's one of the three. He cannot commit to going forward there. It he, he, that's just your responsibility. And a week later, they went to Istanbul. Bruno and and Mata play this short corner routine where they then tell Juan Basaka, Hey, come overlap. Juan Basaka overlaps. They lose the ball and they go and concede a goal because nobody's back. It, it's things like that where like Shaw has that awareness of like, yeah, sure. Looks open. looks like it's there. Um, maybe Delote had it there too. And that's why he didn't, he didn't overlap. But like, those are the kind of things that you just miss with Luke Shaw. Right. There. Um, yeah. I mean, one of the positives is that um, players are starting to come back from injury. Um, you know, I think the injury excuse is no longer really uh, carrying the weight that maybe it did at the beginning of the season when results started to turn. Um, but Aaron Wambasaka back in training, um, Luke Shaw is expected back by the next international break uh, to be back in training. A big problem, though, is that even with the best 11 or, you know, we're not sure what the best 11 is, or even if the best 11 is that good that we saw from the beginning of the season. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of questions still up in the air, whether the squad is healthy or not, but hopefully there is some way out of this, you know, crawling towards results period that we're in right now. Um, yeah. You want to talk about a player coming back? Let's talk about the player that came back. Who's back in the defense now? And suddenly we're looking much Harry, more solid. Harry Maguire. Suddenly we're looking much more solid. Turns out that a player who was bad in a season where everyone was bad is not actually the worst defender in the world. Yeah, he's actually pretty good. Um He's played well these last three games. Um, I think the leadership quality is showing out a little bit too, not just like in terms of organization. They've been lacking but, that badly. But in, yeah, just uh, so like when we had Carl on the pod a couple of years ago, it was after the the last full Ollie season. And he was kind of talking about, you know, the things that United miss without McGuire on the pitch or some of the things that like stick out about him in training. And just like how much he square, just like swears at the players, how much he's vocal, how much he's just like really 
trying to be that sort of like like classic sort of captain like what you think of in your head the sort of Roy Keane type of player and I think it's kind of weird how it's been used against him so much that like people will like make the point that he doesn't get in the ref's face enough like Bruno Fernandez does or he he doesn't do enough of those sort of captain things when the reality is that he is probably the more tempered person in that respect that you would want to be you know a leader in your team um the narrative around him for the last two years has just been really sad uh for a lot of reasons but it's starting to i I wouldn't say right itself but Mm -hmm. the way that he's sort of like getting this little bit of a comeback the way that he's still played well for england uh it's just uh, it's fun to see I mean, without question, defensively, him and Verano are the best pair that we have. They do not concede goals when the two of them are on the pitch. Um, it it means he has to play on the left side, which is his better side. Ten Hag doesn't want him playing there for whatever reason. I I don't know. Uh, he claims it's a, it's an agility thing or an rest defense and and whatnot. Um, but now you have a situation where your two best center backs, when he- when everyone's healthy, are two left center backs. Right. Well, and and that is the other thing is no one, no center back on United passes the ball forward at a higher percentage. Like more of his attempts go forward than any other center back. Harry Maguire is is number one, and it's not close for number two. Um, like it's, it's just ridiculous how much more he passed forward. And I I would like to say that to fit 10 hogs style of play, like your, your two best fits are Maguire and Lissandra Martinez, but we don't know what 10 hogs style is because it's been a year and a quarter of it. I'm like, what the hell are we watching? I hope it's Uh, not this. (laughs) It's been a year and a quarter now when we've never really seen coherent, good, football like we saw wins but whatevs um he is the one that steps up the most to be aggressive whereas martinez and um and veron tend to back off especially like when the balls in there like when the balls in the air when they have those big long clearances the fact that like mcguire steps up and wins the header whether he wins it to a teammate or not but snuffs out the attack right there is such a value to a team whereas martinez and veron would tend to, all right, bring that down and settle it down on your feet, and then we'll take it off your feet. Um, but a lot of times that required backing off. Sometimes it didn't work, and it, they played more in their in their own box, different styles. But it's a huge asset for United to have someone that steps up and just wins those headers and keeps the ball in the other team's half, or keeps the ball out of their own box as often as he does. Uh, he was he was by far and away the best player on the pitch against Sheffield United. I thought he was fine, nothing special tonight. Obviously, he scores the goal, which is big. Got them all three points. They have now won, what is it? It's now 19 of 22 games that he has started under Eric Ten Hag. And two of those games were the first two games that Ten Hag played, which were a disaster from everybody. 
And like the season before, it was everybody was poor. And like the season before, Maguire got all the blame. And then he was taken out of the team. They won a few, they won some big games against Liverpool and Arsenal. It made it much harder to bring him back into the team. Veron was playing well. There was no reason to drop either Veron or Martinez. Um, but every so often he got a chance. And when he did, United kept the queen sheet, except against Sevilla, which David De Gea gave him no favors in that game. But of course, Maguire took the blame. It's 19 of 22 matches now. I tweeted that on Saturday. 18 of 21. And of course the responses were, look at who he played. He, he did only play against bottom half teams. And that is a hundred percent a valid claim that like the, the accounts that spent two years trying to mock him for everything. were immediately latching onto that sky sports graphic of being like, they've won 15 of 16 since last October, which was like the most stats without context thing ever. And I was just laughing. I'm like, of course, like, first of all, why October? What an arbitrary cutoff point um, that you're putting in. But was that like, after yeah, the City game? That was after Sheffield United. Um, what do you know? I'm saying like that October date from last year. Was that after that City game when we lost 6-3? Yeah, but he hadn't played in between. Uh, actually, he had played. No, uh. I think he might have played a Europa League. I think he did. So maybe that's that's wrong. Maybe it's now. Maybe it's. I think I think it's four games they haven't won. Because I think he played against Sociedad. And also Sevilla. But that was after. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Sevilla, Sociedad, Brentford, and Brighton. Uh, so it's four games. All right, that's what that's what I get for trusting people on Twitter with with the stats like that. Um, either way, four games. Uh, and in the Premier League. He went from the Brentford 4-0 match to the final day of the season against Fulham. They had not conceded a goal when he was on the field, when he was on the pitch. So from game two until game 38. Who'd they play? Valid argument. Very valid. They did not play anybody good. But it goes to show you that if you're reacting to, oh, we're doomed because Harry Maguire is named in the team to play against Sheffield United or Nottingham Forest you're doing that for nothing more than clicks and clout. Because obviously if you're playing anybody against in the, in the bottom half of the team, Harry Maguire is capable of playing against them. And frankly, that's the only teams United are able to play against. They've only beaten teams that are below them in the table. Um, I mean, that's like the, who did we play against argument is kind of weird because like we're losing to bad teams this season. Right. You exactly. Know, and uh-huh. <laughs> like, but also you, you should teams. be comfortably beating the bad teams. That's how you stay a good team. <laughs> right. And someone said, sure. Yeah. Play him against these teams, but like you play him against city, we have no chance of winning. And it's like, okay, but what happened the last time Rafael, uh, Rafael started against city. We lost six, three. Uh, he, he left in at halftime when there was, or he left in the first half when it was 3-0. Victor Lindelof has played against City plenty of times. Been terrible. Lissandra Martinez has only started one game against City. Conceded six goals. Like, all the other defenders have failed against City. Harry Maguire has started six games. Five or six games. I think he started both under... I think he started the Ralph Ragnick one, where Bruno and Pogba were both false nines or whatever. He started five or six Premier League matches against Manchester City. They've won four of them. They've won three of them. Yeah, three out of five or six. Like, you could beat them. Like, it's like 
it's such a dumb argument because all the other defenders have been atrocious against City too. Uh, it, like they beat City last year with Veron and Luke Shaw at center back. That you can. It, it's almost uh, like when you concede six goals in a loss, that's like everybody's fault. Right, and they conceded seven against Liverpool when it was Martinez and Veron. Like you know, you could put Harry Maguire in there against City and be okay. It's unless not, a goalkeeper yes. caught the ball and then threw it back into his own net. Like you cannot play. Which Dehaye did a few on, times. Like, one player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, silly, silly gooses. Let, let's hope for everyone's sake that it's not another uh, six goals this weekend because uh, it'll be more than just Maguire that's catching shit. And you know, going. It for- is a must win though. That's yeah. the that's the scary part is is again like you you remember like seventy five points you want to build on that you got in order to build on that you need to replicate seventy five points and then take a few of the games where you drop points and turn them into more points and if you look at the corresponding fixtures that United have played this season they are already um, four points off the pace and you beat City at home last year you gotta win that game because you need to turn points you need to turn drop points into points not points into drop points yeah and um you know the way the top four is looking right now it's uh if not beyond reach it's going to be really really hard to crack into giving the quality of the teams that are up there right now it's like city probably have a a two two teams they're title contending with now with the way that liverpool look um and you know just given the the regimen of that team under Klopp, I, I would expect they're here to stay playing well. Um, and then Arsenal, potentially Tottenham as well, playing, you know, good football and still winning games. It, it's just going to be a, a tough uphill battle. But how are, how, are is... United, how are United one point beyond Newcastle? Well, Newcastle lost like three games in a row to start the season. Right, but that's because they played Brighton, Liverpool, and City. Yeah. Newcastle had the we have a hard schedule excuse and then as soon as their schedule lightened up they've been they've been flying you yeah, know everybody think... said united have a hard schedule and then their schedule lightened up and they have not kicked into another gear <laughs> they have a minus two goal difference also yeah i mean N- newcastle are good it felt like a matter of time before they bounced back um but also i think beating psg the way that they did is uh quite the confidence booster um we but, can attest yeah. to that yeah um all right, that is going to do it for us today. Uh, we will be back next Wednesday after the Derby to, did I say Wednesday? Next Monday to uh, talk about the Manchester Derby and uh, you know preview the Newcastle game. So, yeah, thanks for listening.